first one to shoot is a dusty bitch. Welcome to the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Duryev, and my co-host, the interim heavyweight title to my Francis Ngannou, Nick Braccia. How are you, my friend? It's been way too long, brother. Man, the way you bobbled that intro, it's the CTE-Level Podcast. What are you talking about? I pulled that shit off. I was smooth as a motherfucker. Nick. Now you're like, oh, what is it? What is it called again? I took too many shots. Too many shots. Uriah Hall jabbed you me really, in the face. You're really going to fucking go there? You're, you're going to go there. You're going to talk about how I have CTE. You called me. What if it's true? You, what you if call- you find out one day that I have fucking CTE, Nick? Then you're going to feel really fucking bad. And you're going to apologize. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, go. F- forgot what I was going to say. You won't say. You won't say. You won't say anything. You'll be like, yeah, exactly. You're going to be like, I'm going to get you, Nick. I'm going to get you. Oh, no, no. Which way did he go, Gordon? Which way did he go? You know what, Nick? I don't I sound, said, I, I, I sound I, about like that right now, so I don't know that you're really making fun of I, me. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I, don't, I mean, I, I just would assume you probably haven't like gotten hit in the head enough to get have CTE, but I don't know the specifics. On a happier note, let's talk <laughs> I went to rise you and it got dark. You quickly. are all on your sudden, game today. All of a sudden, your your brain's in a jar next to Chris Benoit. <laughs> High level fucking podcasting going on here right now, Nick. So, man, so a lot to discuss. We actually didn't preview the last event, that Volko versus Gone event. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. No, you were in you were in Florida playing Canasta with old ladies. Who? What the hell is Canasta, Nick? The fact that you know what Canasta is. You know what Canasta is? is? The fact that you know what Canasta is, and I don't. Canasta. It's a. It's okay. It's how do you not know Canasta? It's like the old Jewish lady game, and you're like an old Jewish lady. But I'm Nikolai. I'm Jewish. I am not as young as I once was. But am I really an old lady? I think it's more uh, old Ashkenazi game. Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a uh, a Sephardic Jew, Nick. I'm pretty sure. By the way, I'm pretty sure. Judging by the landscape of the MMA fanhood, that we just lost like like 40% of our listenership just mentioning that I'm a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> there, was that, no, there, was, there was that one Israeli fighter once. Yeah, Noad Lachat, <laughs> and, uh, and I actually think there's a prospect now. I forget his name. There was a kid. There was a really good, the good fighter from Brooklyn. There was a, the kid from Brooklyn that worked out with Frankie Edgar and then left. That wasn't that. That wasn't Noah the Hut. It was a uh, what was this guy's name? I don't know who that is. He was good, and then he and then he left because he was like he was like I make way more money at my day job. He got the hell out of there. Oh, I think I know you're talking. I think I know you're you talking got, about. You got Paul. You got Paul Craig. Yeah, he was uh, he was in finance. I can't remember who it is. Uh, but Paul Craig is not Jewish. In fact, I question. He's not. He's not Jewish, and his nickname is Bear Jew Nikolai, and he refuses I, I, to I, say what the reason seems- for his nickname is. Tell me, it's not some probably maybe anti-Semitic shit. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a semantic. I just, I figured he was, I mean, I just figured he was there. I was, I thought he was a Jewish Scott. No, I'm he shocked. is. He is. In fact, you got, a uh, you got Sarah Kaufman, Emily Kagan, Rory Singer. We remember from old. School. I remember. I think he was like the first um, Jewish fighter I'd heard of. He was uh, on Tito Ortiz's team when he was going up against Ken Shamrock. So like, obviously some high level coaching on that season. Right. And, uh, and man, like 
Tito was about as fucking crazy as he is now. You can't even blame the majority of it for his latter career CTE. Yeah, he's uh he's pretty friggin' nuts. <laughs> Um, so let's let's quickly discuss uh, some of the bigger MMA news going on right now. After Cyril Gaon picked up an impressive win over Alexander Volkov, I thought that two rounds were close, and there's an argument to be made that Volkov took one or two of those, but outside of that, Gaon controlled the entire fight. Gaon was booked in an interim title bout against Derek Lewis in Houston, Nikolai. Uh, what is it? In August, right? And that's almost exactly three months after Francis Ngannou won his title for the first time yeah total i mean this is that hunter campbell this is like everything's come out about them using um this you know strip threatening to strip people of the title holding that over their head like and ganu hasn't done anything wrong this is the ufc's just gotten uglier and uglier you know it's not we it the organization does not represent the things um that the fighters that we love embody the UFC has nothing to do with the person Rose Namajunas, for example. If Rose like drank the blood of her enemies and pissed on them after she won, they would like her just as much, so long as she was drawing money. The fact of the matter is, they've got data somewhere and respectful when talking about the UFC. But I agree. Yeah, and the the they've got data somewhere that says that casuals spend more when there's a belt on a poster, or when they hear the word title, even if in terms in there. Um, they don't trust Amanda Nunes to draw. So heavyweight title he becomes a heavyweight title fight solely to ensure their buy rate with no respect uh, for what Francis Ngannou has accomplished over the last several years. Dethroning in emphatic fashion uh, the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. Like, it's just such a, it just, it's a mockery. It's like, whoa, we're not a sport. Did you think we were a sport? We're not a sport. Did we have to remind you that we're not a sport? Fuck them. You are you are as peeved about it as you should be, Nikolai. Yeah, I mean, here's how I feel about it, right? Clearly, this is a negotiating tactic by the UFC. This is what they do, right? They want to show a fighter that you're not that important. You have the heavyweight title. Well, fuck you. We want this main event on this date, and if you can't do it, we're going to put somebody else in that slot. And they like having that sort of leverage over their fighters. It's how they bring fighters to heal. Um, here's what I'll say, though. From Francis Ngannou's perspective, if I was him... I would have been like, okay, great. I'll fight John Jones or Stipe Miocic. No problem. Those guys can do their thing. I'm fighting in September. If one of them is ready, great. If not, no worries. Right? Like, why is he giving away that this is really affecting him? Fuck that, man. Who gives a shit about it? Well, I, just think he, I, I, think, I don't think he... Let's jump. Let's just put it for a second. I, don't, I think he was just like, uh, this is bullshit. I think he just was kind of like, hmm, this is bullshit. Like, I don't think... I think Francis Ngannou is losing any sleep. I think he feels a little disrespected, and I think that's fair. Um, I just I just feel like him letting the UFC know that's something you wouldn't do if you were uh, across from your opponent in the octagon, right? Francis Ngannou is not going to show that his that I don't know his his side hurts if that happens in the middle of a fight. That's what he's doing here. And and granted, he didn't say much about it. He was just like, "What the heck is going on?" His manager went on a whole thing about it. His coach. Uh, talked about how, yeah, this really hurts, man. This is disrespectful. You're showing them that this is affecting you, and you're showing them that this is, like, actually working, right? It, well, yeah, but it probably also helped that, like, everyone in, in the MMA world called bullshit on this. Like, I don't think Francis was the first one out of the gate to call bullshit, but, like, everyone's response to this was, this is horseshit. Right, no. I'm, Other fighters, fans, yeah. press, everybody was like, this is nonsense. I want you to understand something. I am totally on Francis's side, not on the UFC side in this. All I'm saying is that I wish Francis would have been like, 
I don't give a shit. Like they want to do, they want to make three more interim titles. We all know who the champion is. There's no question about that. They can have whatever they can have whatever they want in their main event. It's a five round main event. This is the champion right here. Clearly, right? Like, there's no like if he had said something yeah. like that, it it, been the, like, the, Fuck you to the, the right the right comeback should have been like, whoever wins that fight, enjoy your interim consciousness. <laughs> yeah, that works for me. Although <laughs> I can't imagine Francis Ngannou having the timing to deliver that that quippy quippy joke, Nikolai. That I did, like bada boom, bada boom. <laughs> it's like you practice. Realist it, guy in the room. I got the gift to gab and the gift to jab. It's like this is a third take of this podcast recording, Nick, and you made this exact same joke. Bossed it the first time, kind of got it the second time, and here we are. But quoting Enzo, uh, quoting Enzo uh, Amore. I didn't actually realize that was a quote. God damn it, Nick. Uh, Look, it, it it is bullshit. I agree with you. I just wish Francis basically said, I don't give a shit. They can do whatever they want. I'm fighting in September. Um, in any case, so yeah, they, they have that matchup scheduled. Am I excited to watch the matchup? Hell yeah, for five rounds. That'll be fascinating because Derek Lewis tends to figure out a way to land that bomb. And I think for Cyril Gaon, this will be great practice against a less technical... Francis Ngannou, who doesn't only have power on paper for the first couple of rounds, right? Like Lewis has made a habit of knocking people out in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds after they've basically had their way with him. Very scary fight for Gan because he's not he, – he, like JDS and some of the other guys that have finished Lewis, um, he's like – he's we haven't seen that he's got stopping power and – He's gonna he's gonna be there for the counter over twenty five minutes. He's yeah. gonna get he's gonna get touched. The move the move might actually be for him to for him to wrestle. Oh, that's that's interesting. I don't know with Cyril Gon's ground get yeah. I mean, I mean maybe I would never. I mean, you get a sing, if you get a single leg and against if like off of off of a three punt you know three piece in a combo and then grab a leg. Derek, you know, if you can get Derek Lewis on his back, like that's the only place you're safe. You know what does piss me off, Nick? I'm just looking at um, their topology. Now, when I clicked into the name of the next event in which they are main eventing, UFC 265, Lewis versus Gone. They're going to main event over the pound-for-pound pound best, best female fighter, maybe pound-for-pound pound best fighter period in the world. Oh, she, I think she, over, since, I mean, I think, there's, I think there's no debate that since UFC 200, Amanda, Amanda Nunes is the best fighter in the world. Right, and she is the co-main event. To fucking the faux world title fight between Derek Lewis and Surogon. Yeah, they just it's 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 ridiculous, it's Nick. But let's get off our soapbox. Let's let's quickly cover uh, Lewis versus Gon. Gon looked really good, man. Kept his pressure on, kept his offense on. He was able to stay safe for really the great majority of that fight. Um, it seemed like the first round was super close. I gave maybe a slight edge to Volkov in that one, and I believe it was the. I believe it was the third round, Nick, and you might correct me on this, where it looked to me like like it was super close, and Volkov uh, had moments in the at least the first three quarters of the round, and then it seemed to me like Gon started to take over a bit there, but Gon clearly won at least three rounds, according to several judges, four, according to some judges, five rounds. Yeah, at least at least three rounds. He was he was faster. He hit harder. He hit more often. Volkov was on his heels a lot. He could not. Um... Frankly, gone Volkov, Volkov, like he was just he was landing, he was shooting the jab out there. He was way more active. He fought the fight I expected Volkov to fight, um, and he just he just landed more. You know, he landed more, better, faster, and harder. I think I think harder, but um, I thought that yeah, I thought that I thought that Volkov would also be able to use use his kicks uh, more effectively. 
Yeah, he didn't have a whole lot of luck with that. He, uh, it just seemed to me like Cyril Gunn is, he's got the athleticism and the speed, and now we're seeing yeah. the conditioning of like a 170-pounder who's kind of elite. You don't see that at heavyweight. He might be the first truly great heavyweight when it comes to actual skill. Like his level of finesse. I mean, can you think of a single heavyweight that was like that? There's Blitzkriegers, I mean, right? That, Steve, uh-huh. Stipe is pretty darn athletic and pretty well-rounded. Stipe, um, Stipe I mean, marches forward and clubs you across the head. Compared to, don't get me wrong, I love Stipe, but compared to fucking Gon, bouncing on the balls of his feet, nonstop cardio, the kind no, of speed got, yeah, I mean, of 170-pounder, yeah. literally, right? Like, there are 185ers who are significantly slower in the top 10 than is Gon. And that's crazy, man. Like he's got, he's got, and he weighs what is it, two fifty two? He weighed him for for this one. Like he's got. Well, yeah, he's like tangible. the he's like version three or four of like the of like a Czech Congo or a you know. Yeah. He's like, um, you know, he's 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 legit, and we haven't really seen him buzzed. Uh, no. So, but uh, you know, Derek Lewis got to test him. Yeah, and granted, we haven't seen him buzzed against guys like Volkov. Uh, JDS, Rosenstrike, right? Like, he's not fighting light-hitting guys. Dontel Mays, granted, you know, not a very skilled guy, but um, he's he's really legitimate. He might be the best heavyweight on the planet at this point. Uh, there's a little bit of footage out there of him sparring Francis Ngannou, and looks to me like Francis... I mean, granted, this was probably years ago, probably back in France when Francis did not train in, in Vegas, but it looked to me like Gon had a distinct advantage there in the stand-up, even though, you know, Francis would do the occasional thing that that, that would land... Um, but here's the thing. Gon is going to need to have like a stone chin to go five rounds without getting hit by Francis. It's not the same thing as fighting Rosenstrike in that he won't throw a strike back right outside of that one fight against Lewis. So uh, I'm fascinated by this guy. I'm very excited about him. He's clearly... Unless, in, unless Gon's been holding back on power, like unless he knows more than we do and he's been fighting... I mean, there are there are guys who we're not kind of aware of the power they have because they're not they're not throwing maybe as hard as they could. Um, I don't know. I I tend to I tend to doubt it. It's kind of odd because I mean he's a heavyweight. He can't. I mean he's got to be able to knock people out. He's a fucking two hundred fifty pound guy with that technique. I I think part of the thing is that he doesn't really sit down on his punches, which is both what makes him technical, what keeps him safe, and what prevents him from being able to land the kind of heavy shots that you would need to. Like you know he he's the type of guy to stand the balls of his feet, pop into range hit you once or twice at a range where you can barely touch him and get out of there versus just yeah. versus just planting his feet, waiting for you to throw something in the pocket and countering with a bomb. You well, know? I could, I could see, I mean the body shots he landed on Volkov, the body kicks he landed on Volkov were nasty. If I remember correctly, and it was a little while ago now, but I could certainly see him finishing Derek Lewis with a liver kick. Yeah. Especially Lewis, uh, Lewis of all people. Who's been, that's what I mean. Lewis, Lewis yeah. is not, Lewis is not the kind of guy who roll, who, who rolls with a, a sick body shot particularly well. No, you're not kidding. Uh, look, I, I'm excited about this matchup. I'm not going to let the interim shit bother me because I don't think it should let Francis bother him. It's like you're letting the UFC... We're all interim, man. We're just interim. Life is interim. Francis Ngannou is undisputed, though. Well, no, might be disputed after UFC 265. But uh, but it is it is a weird situation, especially... And here's the thing. Another factor here could be that Francis is waiting for the uh, John Jones matchup, and he's, like, fine with not rushing into this. Doesn't necessarily want to take the risk against the guy that did, you know, did beat him, um, potentially losing out on a huge payday against Jones. Could be that Francis really just didn't need another month. I think he went back to his home country uh, after the big win to celebrate, and, like, he needs a full training camp. I don't blame him for that. 
outside of that, Nick, we have Timor Valuev, Hani Barcelos. Timor Valuev was able to keep his shit together for the first and third rounds. Did really well there. Stayed at a range that where Honey was not used to, right? He wasn't in the pocket with Honey. He used his footwork to stay out of range. Uh, used his creative striking to 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 just pitter-patter, essentially, from the outside. It worked, man. We've seen this kind of game plan work for uh, guys like Volkanovski against uh, former champion Jose Aldo. Like, this kind of style can work in this division. I think he used the same style to beat Max Holloway. Volkanovski did just that kind of range-kicking style that doesn't allow you to come into the pocket and doesn't allow you to get much done with takedowns uh, as long as he's staying safe and busy, essentially. It wasn't like a thrilling fight to watch in rounds one and three, but it was good work by value of man who trains with uh, Mark Henry and the crew. Yeah. Yeah. Team. Good fight. Some other things on the card of interest. I mean, Andre Feely was piecing up Daniel Pineda before I poke of doom. Um, yeah. Jermaine, Jermaine Wells got the ferocity. Yeah. That kid looks legit. Shafkat Rahmanov. I look forward to, uh, to seeing continue with his career. That, that kid looks like a real prospect of 14 and zero. he beat Alex Oliveira and Michelle Prezeras in his first two UFC fights, which is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, shout out to Tanner Bozer for getting right back in the cage after that decision loss, Agreed. where he lost he lost the fight to Ilya Latifi just uh, on the fifth of June. On the fifth of June, came back on the twenty sixth and finished OSP. I don't think Tanner Bozer has a very high ceiling at heavyweight, but like, good on him for going in there and getting a win back. Well, not a win back, but rather back in the win column after just three weeks. Yeah, and OSP seems like he's about done, man. He uh, he kind of skipped his athletic prime and is now 38 years old and fighting like like he's 40 honestly it, it's not looking too good for him unfortunately but we do have a big card to break down nick the ufc 264 this is the big trilogy between conor mcgregor and dustin poirier we're going to break down the entire thing for you all through the mma geeks draft c-level draft fuck that it's a level nick it's high level shit mma geeks it's drafty in here that could work too. I, I wish we would have uh, kicked that back and forth before we committed to sea level. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're not all. They're not all winners. I'm just. <laughs> I just kind of try to provide creative on demand. And I really do appreciate it, Nick. Well, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I got some picks to kick your ass. I'm looking forward to it, Nicola. You better have some underdogs ready, bud. Let's take a break. Come back and break the whole card down. Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, and we're getting into the MMA Geeks draft where Nick and I take turns picking fighters that are competing on UFC 264, and uh, we're going to see how many points each of us can reel off here. As of this moment, I'm five and a half points ahead of Nick in our draft competition. You have the first pick this week. All right. Um, listen, I kind of hope I'm not right about this, but I got to go. I got to go with O'Malley over the last minute fighter, uh, Chris Ma- uh, Mountaineau, who, you know, really just picked out of the sky. Um, I don't know this was a guy headed to the UFC. If uh, And I'm a little bummed. I really think there's pro- there were some guys at 135 who were ready to step up and fight O'Malley on short notice, call their shot. And uh, the UFC just does not want to uh, make it difficult for snow cone pubes. So... I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pick him, uh, Sean O'Malley, who I I don't really think is that good, um, currently to defeat uh, uh, Chris Montano. I think if I think if if Marab Devashvili was in there, I think there were, I think there are probably 
10 or 12 guys who could have, you know, stopped this annoying influencer hype train. But alas, we have our own, our own version of Jake Paul to deal with. Yeah. I mean, I think you're not giving Sean O'Malley quite enough credit. He's still got like, he's a fast slick striker, very tall for the division, right? Taller than most guys. Got serious snap in his punches and that usually last cannon. finish. Uh, yeah, Last I don't cannon. disagree with you, right? He's he's not as uh, fast in the third round of a hard fight. Legs have durability issues in a couple of UFC fights already. And he was knocked out by Marlon Vera from top position, which is not a great sign for his chin. So I agree with you on the pick. Um, Chris is well-rounded, but taking this fight on short notice, I don't think he's going to have the takedown chops to do well here. Plus the issue is that He's been knocked out a couple times in the last few fights, and Sean O'Malley has serious power, so not a great combination for him on short notice. But I'm going to hope for multiple reasons now that you chose uh, Sean O'Malley that uh, that he's able to pull off the upset. There's a quick list of guys I, w- I think would destroy him. Cody Stamen, Kyler Phillips, Jimmy Rivera, Marab Devashvili, Pedro Munoz, Cody Garbrand, Jose Aldo, Rob Font, Corey Sanhagen, uh, Petr Jan. That's just in the in the top 15. I definitely think the first few guys that you mentioned are questionable whether they can beat him I think, or not. I think Kyler Rob Phillips. Can. I think Ky- I think Kyler Phillips is a better Sean O'Malley yeah. than Sean O'Malley. Kyler Kyler Phillips probably can. He's just unfortunately doesn't have the uh, the branding and marketing skills of Sean O'Malley. But yeah, um, he should. He's more he's more handsome than Sean O'Malley. <laughs> Fair enough. You're right. Sean O'Malley uh, looks like a toenail. My first pick, Nick, is going to be in the matchup between Zalgas Zumagulov and Jerome Rivera. I actually think there's some risk here because the odds are a little bit too far apart in this matchup. But Zumagulov, to me, is a solid prospect. Uh, he's actually from Kazakhstan. Uh, he's a fast-pressure striker who sets up offense with fakes and feints. 7-2 uh, in his last nine fights, including a win over former UFC title challenger Ali Bagautinov and Tyson Nam. Um, I, I honestly think that Zumagulov, his speed, his conditioning, his five-round experience, his durability... The fact that he has plenty of heart, I think all of that's going to amount to a win over Rivera, who he's, he's like a pressure southpaw striker, but doesn't really have the athleticism to to take guys out of there. Has decent entrances on his takedowns, but not really strong or athletic enough to finish those takedowns. And he's dur- he's had durability issues. I think he's owned three in the UFC, and I think he was finished uh, at least two of those times. So I like uh, Zumagulov here. Cool. I'm uh, I'm with you on that on that pick. So for my second pick. Uh, I feel pretty confident that Jessica I does not have a lot left for the division. And although I, I think Jennifer Maya is a level down from elite, um, I don't think she's going to have much trouble with Jessica I's boxing. I might land uh, in the first round, but I think Maya is going to be able to muscle her over to uh, over to the cage. I think she'll probably be able to get takedowns. I just think at this stage in their career, Jennifer Maya is a more well-rounded uh stronger and more confident mixed martial artist. Um, so I have a hard time seeing Jessica I uh, outpointing her in this fight. I think, I think it's either a 29-28 or possibly Jennifer Maya, if she can get on top, get, uh, could potentially get some kind of uh, maybe a head and arm choke or a rear naked choke. But most likely a 29-28 decision after a closed first round where maybe I out jabs her. I think like with Jessica I, she can come in as the underdog sometimes at almost exactly these odds and get a win over somebody like Viviana Rujo, right? She has done this multiple times throughout her career, so it's tricky. She's a hot and cold fighter, could come in some days at a pretty high level, take over in that second round against uh, somebody who doesn't quite have the chops to go hard for three. Uh, But Maya does have those chops. She did an okay job, uh, accounted herself well against Valentina Shevchenko, went to a five-round decision with her, clearly won one round, 
a lot more than you could say about Jessica I, who got smoked by her. So yeah, I think between Maya's kind of soup to nuts kickboxing game should be enough to at least have her be very competitive against I. And then I'm thinking, you're right. I think she can grab the clinch if takedowns aren't going to be all that presentable. Since I does have generally good takedown defense, unless she's fighting somebody, uh, you know, like Cynthia Calvillo as a wrestling background. So I agree with you. I think Jennifer Maya's uh, should have the edge here, but Really hard to be confident with Jessica I sometimes coming in way better than we expect her to be. My next uh, pick is going to be in the Ilya Tapuria Ryan Hall matchup. I am. God damn it. Was that going to be your next one? Yeah. I was. I almost did it now. I didn't think you were going to be on it because it's the only fight I was going to take with that was going to get me underdog points. Oh, you wanted. You wanted. What's his name, huh? You wanted Ryan Hall. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I didn't think. I didn't think you were going to get take this one early, but okay. It's yours now, motherfucker. It is, and apparently you think that I'm going to lose, and I'm kind of into that. Well, I think it's I think it's the best shot I have of getting a double points on the card. I hear that. Let's say that. Yeah, I definitely hear where you're coming from. Um, in uh, Taporia's last-minute UFC debut against Yusuf Zalal, he showed that he's a prospect at 145, right, in his next fight. For sure. He ran through Damon Jackson and honestly showed that he could very well be champion in this division. Serious striker with heavy hands and technical boxing. Mix that in with his pressure grappling game, which is backed up by a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And he's a solid wrestler on top of all that, right? In my opinion, he's got a higher ceiling than every other Georgian prospect, including Marab Devashvili and Jika Jikadze. So I, I'm pretty big on Tapori here. Howell's a BJJ black belt, known specifically for his heel hooks. He's super unorthodox, both with his stand-up and his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but it's effective. Uh, standing up, he likes to throw those just distant kicks and keep you at kicking range, even though nothing of solid is landing. He's just staying busy or at a distance. He knows that if he catches kick, he's on his back and he's very comfortable there. I don't expect that to work too well against Taporia. I think Taporia from top position should be okay here. His one loss, Ryan Hall is undefeated, but his one loss on the Ultimate Fighter, which was an exhibition matchup, so it doesn't count for his record. It uh, was to Saul Rogers, I think his name is. Um, he ended up being a finalist on that show. He, he had visa issues, so never made his UFC debut, but he lost by basically being out grappled by like a safe wrestler. And I think Tapori is more than capable of doing that, even though he's not one to stay safe. I, I'm a big fan of this kid. I think, I think he's going to do huge things uh, in the division and I'm hoping you're wrong. I, I hope Ryan Hall doesn't catch something. Well, gosh, darn it. I'm definitely <laughs> hoping that Ryan Hall catches something next. What an interesting card this is. I'm going to go. I've liked the way that the, uh, that the veteran condit has looked lately. And I feel like Max Griffin is kind of a tailor-made opponent for him. I mean, he's young and hungry. I just think that I think Griffin's going to trade. I don't think he's that as good defensively as he could be. And I think that Condit's going to hit him a lot. Um, I don't think that he's the kind of fighter that gives Condit fits, uh, which is the super, super powerful wrestlers that can hold him down. Yes, Condit will probably get taken down a bit here, but I think he'll land enough. Um, and I think his takedown defense should should be okay. I mean, it's not going to be great, but I don't think it'll cost him the fight. Nor do I think he'll get subbed. I think uh, I think we're going to see a natural born killer just bring some old school violence. I think he's going to make Max Griffin bleed. I think there'll be this will be a bloody fight. I agree with you that this is a good two point opportunity since Con it, is a, it is a two point opportunity. Right, since Conda is just barely uh, uh, above that level. I do think it's competitive. I, I think this would be the bet to make as far as uh, just purely an underdog value. Um, but I, I'm giving the edge to Griffin mostly because his big issue prior to recently has been, and I think he's on a two fight winning streak now, uh, coming off of a finish first finish in the UFC, maybe second, um, 
his his biggest issue has been his gas tank, right? No matter how durable, no matter how tough he is, no matter no matter how much punishment he could take and knock him up, he would just get exhausted in the second half of a fight because of his output early on. He has been looking in incredible shape. If you look at his Instagram, if you look at his last fight in which he finished Kenan Song, he just looks wrecked, man. Like he's really taking advantage of his athleticism, supplementing it with a solid strength and conditioning program. So um, giving the edge to Griffin for that reason. But if I was the one picking this fight, I would absolutely be taking uh, Carlos Condit, Nikolai. So I'm there with you, bud. My next pick is going to be in the co-main event, the Stephen Thompson-Gilbert Burns matchup, Nick. I am intrigued by this matchup. Um, yeah. I, Surpri- uh, I'm surprised you're picking this so early. I, I am, and and here's the thing. I think that I undervalued Stephen Thompson just one time in his in, in the last several years, and that was in his matchup, in, in his last fight. Uh, was his last fight where he got a loss, Nick? No, Stephen Thompson uh, or Gilbert Burns? Uh, no, I'm talking about Stephen Thompson. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, Thompson won his last. Thompson won his last one or two fights. His last so, two fights against yeah Luke A and Joff Neal. Right, the Joff Neal matchup. I actually picked Joff Neal, Nick. And that was a mistake that was unlike me. I, I gave Joff Neal more credit than I should have in that uh, in that instance. Here's the thing. Stephen Thompson does really well against aggressive opponents. He struggled against opponents that, uh, that are happily putting their back up against the fence who are going to end up uh, going to end up essentially countering you from there, right? Anthony Pettis. Yeah, he does very well against against middle of the cage fighters. Exactly. Well, not only middle of the cage, but aggressive fighters like Vicente Luque. He's a training partner and a close friend of Gilbert Burns. Um, I'm sure like Burns is going to need to engage to either land strikes or to get takedowns, which means he's going to get in range enough to get countered by Thompson. Thompson only needs, only has three rounds here. I wish this was a five round fight. That's the one reason I would love uh, for this to have been a main event on a, on a lower level card. But um, I like Thompson here. I think he's going to counter him effectively. Um, Gilbert Burns is not quite on that level. Gilbert Burns, the way he was tagged multiple times and, and quite frankly, knocked down a couple times by the, just the jab of Usman Shows me that Thompson's going to have enough power to ding him and hurt him badly. Um, I expect Thompson, even if Burns makes it to the decision, I expect him to look good in this one. I don't like Gilbert Burns' chances of getting top position and getting, uh, uh, getting uh, you know, a submission. Or, or you know, maybe maybe he might take like half a round, but I don't expect him to do well enough on the ground to uh, win that way, Nick. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like Gilbert Burns uh, quite a bit. I just, I think... Um... You you, just, you need a really I just think you need a a very sharp fight IQ to beat Thompson and I feel like Burns can get a little emotional in there he can get a little over aggressive um, I I just I think that Thompson is too cagey I think his movement's going to give Burns uh, fits and that um, I could see Thompson doing a lot of good uh, body work uh, with kicks and combinations. Um, in the first round to kind of sap some of Burns's power, and uh, yeah, I see I see Thompson likely likely winning a, a decision here. We'll see we'll see where Burns's head is at. Um, you know, it's his first it's his first fight since getting knocked out by Usman, um, and he did look you know he did look so good um, in that in those fights against Maya and Tyron Woodley, but it's Maya and entire it's it's Maya and Tyron Woodley. So so you know we'll see. Um, part of, you know, part of Burns's current run reminds me of, um, the old, like, like the old school run up to the GSP fight that, uh, that Tiago Alves had, um, you know, super aggressive blitz, blitzkrieg, blitzkrieging Brazilian fighter with a good, with a, 
a pretty strong ground game and uh and, and great power um but i i think this is this should this is thompson's uh this is thompson's fight to lose i think you should be able to pull it out you know what i'm gonna fuck around i'll go in main event right now i just think that conor mcgregor has exactly one way to win this fight and that's by knocking out dustin Poirier in the first round dustin Poirier has to use all of his mixed martial arts skills and ability to not get knocked out in the first round. I think there's a better chance that Dustin does that than that he doesn't. I think he's a more well-rounded guy. I think he's stronger. I think Connor might have the more sniper-like boxing, and then he's very athletic and very well-balanced, and he still has a lot left and can can beat a lot of guys based on his skills. I just think Dustin's a diamond. I think he's, I think he's just a better overall fighter at this point, who's uh, who's still at his peak, uh, who I still think is hungry, and who does is as bad as Connor wants to get that loss back and to take go up two in this series. Dustin doesn't want to lose, and he's become so he's become so mentally strong. Uh, we've we've seen his we've seen his fortitude. Uh, we say we saw him come close to uh to beating well to close he did all right against Khabib I mean he got he got smashed but he did have a good choke on at one point um we saw his Werberthal against Gagey how he ate those shots um we saw him fight Alvarez twice he we saw what he did to Max Holloway of all people a fa- like a, a just a faster like really terrific boxer I just think Dustin's got all the skills. Um, to do it again, even if he doesn't do it with calf kicks, I just think, I just think he's the be- he's the the bigger, stronger. I don't know if he's younger. Is he younger? Um, but I just I think Dustin Poirier uh, is still peaking, and I think we saw the best of Conor McGregor uh, probably in the Eddie Alvarez fight. I just I I don't think um, I just again I also I just don't I just don't think that, that Connor is as effective at 155 either. I don't think his shots hurt as much. Um so I I'm picking I'm picking Dustin the Diamond here to repeat. Uh I think he'll probably finish it in the third round. Nick, I'm there with you on the pick, but I do want to talk a little bit about their first fight. Uh for the record, Dustin is about six months younger than McGregor. So how many months? Six months. <clears throat> They're both thirty-two. McGregor's about to okay. turn 33 on the 14th, actually. So Poirier was ready to counter Connor's left hand, right? Like that's really the biggest thing that you have to worry about. Like you suggested with Connor McGregor, if you can avoid his left hand landing on your chin, let me get more specific. If you can avoid that left hand landing on your chin in the first five minutes, you're probably in a pretty good spot unless you get exhausted in the second round, in which case he can still do some damage, right? That's not going to be the case with Poirier in all likelihood. So he was ready with the counter, uh, his right hook counter to Connor's left hand, right? He was ready with a takedown counter to uh, Connor's left hand. He would basically throw something expecting Connor to counter with his big left, and then he would go right under it for a takedown. That's how he got the takedown in that uh, first round, right? I thought that he looked pretty good in that clinch. And it's funny because McGregor thinks he won the clinch, seemingly not realizing just clinching in itself was working in favor of Poirier, who can still crack with tired shoulders and has the conditioning advantage. Whereas Connor, you wear out his shoulders, right? You just took away essentially a big aspect of why he has power, why he has the weapons to finish people. So you tire out his shoulders, you take away some power from his left hand, right? Um, 
Dustin went in for the takedown, got the takedown, didn't let him go, didn't let him disengage, even let Connor think that he was landing the occasional knee and that sort of thing in order to keep that clinch and keep pummeling, where Poirier was doing a phenomenal job of putting his body weight down rather than actually working with his arms. Connor was working with his arms the entire time. Connor was trying to explode with his shoulder strikes, with his elbows. So again, Connor was using his energy and getting his shoulders tired. Poirier would lean back as McGregor threw his left hand. You can kind of call it kind of rolling with a shot, but it, it looks a little bit less smooth, I would say, than like, you know, some of the boxers that are known for that kind of thing. And again, it takes a lot of sting away from McGregor. McGregor's made a career out of knocking out opponents who are lunging forward into his offense. And Poirier clearly had that in mind. Uh, as Poirier started landing calf kicks, it took Connor's ability to put weight on that left foot away, uh, the right foot away. And Putting weight on the front foot is important in order to generate power in Connor's left hand. So that's a three aspects of Poirier's plan that reduced his chances of getting knocked out by Connor's left hand. Um, because of all of this and his cardio issues, Connor's punches were much slower in the second round. That's why he barely landed after the the five minute mark. Poirier would see everything and slipped about a dozen of McGregor's punches before he was able to tag him, realize that he hurt him, and then his killer instinct took over. Um, the calf kicks are the biggest thing that people mentioned when discussing the result of that fight, but that was just one aspect of Poirier's game plan. Makes me wonder whether the Connor focused his entire game plan on those calf kicks and around them, right? And not realizing that Poirier had other aspects that took away Connor's strengths. I think Poirier can beat McGregor as long as he doesn't walk into a left hand. Mac has never had any other consistent weapons that people need to worry about. For that reason, I think Poirier pulls it off here once again. Uh, but Connor is exactly the kind of guy to just start somebody when you, you know, lay all the cards against him. So there, there's real risk in this one. Um, there was, uh, there was one fight that I was going to pick before this one, but it was coming up on my list as well, Nick. My next pick is going to be in the Michelle Pereira, Nico Price fight. Uh, Pereira is the favorite here. I actually think he could be the bigger favorite. Nico Price has a lot of things going for him. He's kind of a madman, right? He throws everything with serious power. He can knock people out off of his back. One of the few guys that has multiple knockouts off of his back in the UFC. Um, and But he's willing to take so much offense, right? He went to a very competitive decision with Donald Cerrone recently, which is not a great sign. Whereas Michelle Pereira, who used to have serious issues with his conditioning, or you know what, at least I shouldn't say he used to have serious issues. In one fight, he, his conditioning looked like shit. And I think that a lot of people are counting him out because of it. If you look at his fights after that, I think he hit the third round several times and he looked fresh in those third rounds. He's looked pretty good. So it's not like he's he's completely shot in that way. He's two and two in his last three, but was dominating Diego Sanchez before landing an illegal knee that let Sanchez kind of walk away with the DQ win. Um, I think that Pereira is more composed. I think he's a lot better at managing his energy than he used to be. He's explosive as hell still, right? He walked away with a win over Chaos Williams, which is a pretty good win, even though Chaos is still, you know, largely, I guess, unproven. He's, he's going to a couple of pretty competitive fights uh, against some decent opposition here. I like Pereira here all the way at minus 165. I think he's worth a straight bet. Yeah, I'm with you, although I, I hope this one doesn't go to the third round because I feel like it's going <laughs> to be kind of messy if it does. Um, we're left with a lot of tough picks now, unfortunately. Yeah, we are. I'm oh, hey, I'm gonna go with looking at them all, gauging this shit. It's like gosh. <laughs> um, goddamn. Um, you know, Amari Makhmedov is at plus one forty two right now. If he was a little higher, I would. That would be my obvious next pick. 
Um, Same here. But he's not. He's not. So I think. I think over three rounds that Ty Tuivasa should be able to outbox Greg Hardy. And we've only seen Tuivasa um, TKO'd by Junior Dos Santos. And even a diminished Junior Dos Santos, I don't think Greg Hardy has anywhere near his boxing. So I think Tuivasa should be able to handle the athleticism and the power. Um, he's boxed with good boxers like Andre Arlovsky. Um He's not, I don't think he's going to get out, out crafted like he did against Blagoy Ivanovov. Um, and it's a, it's definitely not a pick I feel extremely confident about, but I, I think two of us should be able, uh, should be able to land more shots and, uh, and, and kind of get, get by on, on, uh, on, on craftiness and, uh, combinations. I, uh, I'm i leaning slightly toward Hardy, especially at plus money. Tawasa went, like, he looked pretty good early in his UFC career against, like, mid-level competition, and then things started going downhill. Recently, he's back on a bit of a streak. I think he's 2-0 and in his last couple. Um, did some training with AKA after his losing streak and before the pandemic, which I think kind of revived his training habits a little bit, revived his career, like, at least, at least mentally for him. Yeah, he, he lost to pretty good guys, though. He did. It's true, and... To be honest, Hardy lost to a really good guy in Volkov, right? And it wasn't like a shutout. He didn't get smoked by the guy. Volkov smoked a couple of guys after that win. So, uh, look, I, I think Hardy is super athletic. He trains with the American top team. He's very fast. Tavasa's fast and explosive, right? He just blows up on on these kind of mid-athleticism heavyweights and, and implodes them. But I don't know if it's going to work that way with Hardy. I think he's got some decent fundamentals. I do think that if Tavasa gets top position, it really goes goes to work. I think he can get Hardy out of there just with Hardy's lack of heart. I don't know if he's ever going to have the cardio to go three rounds, right, Hardy? I don't know if he'll ever develop a ground game or the ability to mentally get through a tough moment, especially off his back, but I'm going to give him a slight edge here. It's probably a mistake, and I don't have any conviction over it. I'm, I'm rather glad that you're making this pick. Well, there's so let me two other things I want to say about that. I, want, I mean, let's just think about about the first round against Jorgen DeCastro. Okay, think about times that he's been in there with, with people that are that – are, uh, more experienced and better and better strikers. And I think tied two of us is that, and think about his, you know, I know it was two years ago or a year and a half ago, but his cardio against Ben Sosali, uh, where he had to use that inhaler and how, how sort of gassed he was. I think tied two of us is smart enough to go, to go to the body, to take Hardy's air. I just, uh, yeah, I, I just, I favor, I favor him here to, um, I think two I think two of us is, got got the heart and the skills to do it yeah i think part of what keeps me like from being that feeling that good about tavasa is the size difference as well hardy is at least as athletic than as tavasa but he's got just all heavy muscle he's uh, i don't know if he's heavier but he's definitely taller by a good margin he's six five um and he's got a good reach advantage look uh very possible that tavasa explodes with some big shots and lands some land some points but this should be a fun one to watch uh and but both guys have shown cardio issues in the past and he also, I mean, he does have a, he has a 14 and two kickboxing record also. And he's boxed professionally. I just, yeah, I just think he's a, I just think he's a higher level striker. Yeah. That's a really, really big, uh, you're right. Combat sports experience edge for Tuivasa, who has more MMA fights on top of that. You're making a decent argument there, Nick. Hard to disagree with you, man. My next pick is 
I am going to go ahead and take the lowest level fight on this card. I think I'm going to take Hu Yao Zong to beat Alan Abadovsky. Probably going to regret making this pick at all, let alone this, you know, with a couple of other options available. Neither guy really, really belongs in the UFC. Both the guys have been out for a while, so it's hard to kind of gauge where they might be at this point in their careers. But Hu Yao Zong is like a big, big middleweight. Whereas Alan Abadovsky is not the biggest middleweight. Uh, Hu Yao Zong is actually coming down from light heavyweight, so he's just a large, large man. I'm surprised he's able to make the weight. I guess I'll give him the edge for that reason. Alan Abadovsky hits hard, um, doesn't have a like a ground game of any existence, and who, given his size advantage standing and, and the fact that he's got a slightly better ground game, I'm, I'm giving him the edge. Who's also the underdog, by the way? Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Abadovsky in that, but um, it's not my pick, and I was going to stay the hell away from that one. So good on you, kid. Um, oof, two pick, two, two, three fights left. These are all very, very interesting. Huh. What do... Man, it's like a, it's like a chess match here. <laughs> I like Duplessis to defeat the streaking Trevin Giles. I think this is a super close fight. Duplessis is a, is a I think he's a finisher. I think he's a tough dude. I think he's gonna be the. T- I, let me. I'm pretty sure he's gonna have the uh, a little bit. He's got a little bit of a height advantage, a little couple inches of reach advantage. Uh, I think he's. I think he's the kind of guy who's gonna. I think this is actually gonna be a knockdown drag out, but I think he's going to be a little bit more um, durable than, than Giles. I actually got like both guys. I think they both have potential uh, Guile Giles, obviously being a full-time cop. So I don't know how much time he really has to dedicate to the sport of MMA, but Duplessis, like he's kind of tricky in that he has this big kickboxing record, um, and he seems to at times keep his chin up and and just kind of throws lead light kicks, keeps switching stances. Like doesn't seem to be anything that fancy about his stand up, but when he lands, man, people drop. Like I don't I don't know if this guy's gone to decision in his career. Like every fight is a finish. He's got on top of all those knockouts, he's got ten uh, submission finishes. Really good with the guillotine. So yeah, I'm, I'm I guess I'm giving him the edge here too. This is this one is easily one that could go either way. Because Trevin Giles, like, he's pretty aggressive standing, man. Like, he covers distance with explosive strikes. Uh, been getting busier and busier on the uh, on the ground lately with his ground and pound from top position. But he's, like, very willing to engage in grappling matches against grapplers. And so there's some concern about him just kind of making some bad IQ decisions here. He's got more UFC experience, but I guess I'll give uh, the series power of Duplessis and the, and the solid record. I think he's 15-2 and two or something. I'm going to give him the edge here as well. My next pick is going to be... So we basically have Arena Aldana versus Yana Kuniskaya left, and then we have Brad Tavares versus Omari Ahmedov. I am going to go with Irina Aldana to win a very competitive decision against Yana Kuniskaya. Yana surprised me in her last win against Vera. Uh, I did not think of her as on level to be able to get that kind of win, but I, I think we've seen some holes in Vera's game at this point, some maturity issues. Um, Kuniskaya can just like bully you in the clinch, and she's not really dynamic standing, not really dynamic on the floor, but she's a strong uh, muscular girl, and man, if she wants to keep you in grappling range, she can to a lot of girls. Aldana, though, given her size advantage, given her high-level experience, given her footwork, given her serious hands, I'm going to give her the edge to outscore her and just do damage outside of the moments where Yana is holding the clinch, and I, I think that'll score her enough points to pick up a decision here. This, Yeah, that's such a tough one to call, because I could see Yanisko, um Kunitskaya controlling the fight against the cage for long 
you know, for long periods of time. I could see her maybe getting some takedowns. I could see Aldana losing her cool over that and trying to end the fight with one shot. I think Kuniskaya has got a too good of a chin for that. Um, she's big and strong, but oof, this is yeah, this is a very very tough one to call. But I I think overall Aldana's got the higher upside uh, and is the better fighters. So again, I think it will be very very competitive decision. Um, so we're we're in agreement there, but it's it's really a toss up. I'm left with a fight that's no fun to pick. This is the last one, right? It is. Oh, oh. By the way, this would make it. This would make it an odd number of fights, which means I guess we'll both give our breakdown because uh, it's we already made uh, six picks a piece, I believe, right? You've made six. Oh yeah, you have made six. Yeah, um, yeah. So 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 this one, I guess we'll both just give our breakdown, and then if a, another fight pulls out, this one takes its takes its place. What do you think, bud? I think that Brad Tavares's own wrestling background, his takedown defense, and the fact that he's a he's just a that he's a better boxer. Um, should set should set him up for success here. I think Akhmadov is going to shoot and shoot and shoot. I think Tavares should be able to like make him pay for that. Throw elbows, elbows, elbows. Even if he gets taken down a couple of times, I I believe that there will be more time spent on the feet uh, with Tavares getting shots off than there will be uh, Akhmadov control. But don't feel particularly confident about that. Yeah, this is a tough fight to be confident in. I I initially thought Omedov can get takedowns. I saw I see the um value in him as an underdog at around plus one fifty, not so much a plus one thirty five, which is what I have listed uh him listed as here. I guess I'll go with Brad Tavares too. Like he's had some durability issues issues in the past, but he does have like a close to eighty percent takedown defense, which is a good sign for him. Omari, man, he'll figure out a way to get a takedown. He trains with ATT, so it's pretty high level. But I hate the way he gassed out against Chris Weidman. Um, I, I guess I'll agree with you on on Brad Tavares, but I, you know, th- this one is really hard to be confident in. There's a reason it's a pick that you and I both avoided. Nikolai, that'll do it for this card. I actually think you have a pretty good shot at walking away with this one. You've got O'Malley, Jennifer Maya. You've got uh, Carlos Condit in there, which, you know, obviously could go either way, but that could be a two-pointer. you got Dustin Poirier, which I agree with, man. Like, you've got some pretty good picks on your docket. I did the be- I did the, the darn bestest I could. And you, pro- and you probably stopped me from taking Ryan Hall. Yes, I, I, it sounds like I certainly did. I mean, you, def- you definitely stopped me from taking Ryan Hall. Yeah. Yes, and, and you know what? You're, you're welcome for that, Nick, because I think Ilya Tapolia is something special. Also, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, so I don't know, like, what the odds are of Ryan Hall just, like, snatching a even the most even this even the most special fighters can get caught in a heel hook. Ask ask Brock Lesnar. Say special fight. Are you comparing Brock Lesnar's skill set to fucking Ilya Taporia? God damn it, Nick. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say Brock Lesnar. I said Brock <laughs> Lesnar. Is that the way that Paul Heyman says it before he walks out or something? That's the way Paul Heyman says it. I like Paul Heyman. Um, all right, so my picks were Zalgas Zumagulov, Ilya Taporia. I took Stephen Thompson, Michelle Pereira. You know what? I'm kind of liking my picks too. I don't know. I think they could easily, easily could go either way. Yeah, I'm excited. And then the rest of the picks, honestly, could easily go uh, in either direction. So we have uh, UFC Fight Night, Makachev versus Moises. That's on 717. Is that a week from this card? Yes, it is, Nick. I like that the UFC took a week off, or I should say two weeks, right, without a fight card. Uh, leading into this one gives us all time to breathe, gives us time to plan. It gives you and I a little bit more time to do research, but more importantly, it makes us hungry for that upcoming UFC card. It happens to be a big one, and I'm sure this one will do really, really well at the box office. 
Yeah, we'll see. Let's just hope it's the fucking end of Conor McGregor and Sean O'Malley. It'd be great to to get rid of them both in one card. Talk about two birds, one stone, Nick. I I, I don't know. Look, I, I don't mind characters like that. Like especially if they're gonna lose to really good fighters, I have no fucking problem with that. Conor's entertaining. He, you know, he. Like, everybody that's going to do really well on this card is going to get some serious shine. He's entertaining. I just want him out of the I just want him out of the title picture. Just be an attraction. Be a feature, be a feature fighter. Oh, I agree with that. You know? He should be fighting the Nate Diaz's, not the Dustin Poirier's of the world. Although, we'll see. Maybe fight Masvidal, fight Nate Diaz. Like, you know, just get out of the yep. get out of the title picture, pal. I'm, I'm definitely there with you. Unfortunately, I think the UFC will keep him in. Like, he can have three, four losses in a row, and then he picks up one, and the UFC might just give him a title shot. Unfortunately, that is the world that we live in, to your point earlier about this not being a sport in every way that it could yeah. be. Well, I hope he ends and gets proper knocked out and gets properly knocked out in 12 seconds. That joke just stopped. <laughs> my battery's running out on my computer. I got to hit stop on this thing. We'll talk to you next week, Stanislav. And three. Two, one.